Hey, we're going to be in Philippians 4 today. So you can open your Bible there. If you're going to be using the the Bible that's underneath your seat, um, that's on page 982. 982. And if listen, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own one, that's our gift to you. Okay? You can take that home with you. And our security team will not tackle you on the way out. Okay? That's a gift. Thank you for being here this morning. If you're new, my name is Chris, and I, get, and I have the privilege um, of serving here at FBCNL as the pastor of worship and discipleship. So obviously I do the music, um, and, uh, but I also have discipleship responsibilities. I write a lot of the small group curriculum that our small groups study, um, and uh, I oversee our discipleship ministries in the church, and I get to fill in from time to time to preach whenever our pastor goes to Disney World. The sermon today is on contentment, all right? And, and listen, if you want to punish a pastor, you make him write a sermon on contentment that he is content with while the lead pastor is in Disney World. So anyway, um, page four, 982, Philippians 4. Whenever I was 19 years old, I tried to kill myself. I was um, in a band, I was playing music, and I thought, this is what I'm going to do with my life. Um, and my, my goals and my aspirations were to make much of myself, uh, very, very selfish dreams that I had. Um, and, and I put all of my energy and effort into pursuing that. Um, and along with being a musician and, and, and being in a rock band came everything that, you know, accompanies that, that kind of a lifestyle. Um, I was involved in drugs and partying and, and all those things. Um, and a culmination of events happened. Um, I lost my job, first off. Um, and then whenever I lost my job, and I lost my job because I failed a drug test. And whenever I lost my job, I was not living with my parents. I was living with a friend and I couldn't pay my rent. And I, at the time, I could not go back home. Looking back, I realized my parents, they always had their arms open. They would have received me, but it was me that was bitter, and it was me that was confused, and I wasn't going to go back home. So I resorted to living out of my car. Um, I, was, I didn't have a job. Um, I was homeless, didn't have a place to go. Um, and then the worst thing imaginable in my life that could have possibly happened, happened. I got a phone call one day. Our band had broken up. We were done. And so all of my goals and dreams and ambitions of being a famous musician had collapsed. My sister would travel out of town, um, and whenever she would leave out of town, um, I would break into her house and stay there while she was gone, Um, and then I would get out before she came home. And so she's gone, and and one night I'm sitting alone in my sister's house, and I'm thinking about my life. I'm thinking about all the things that I'd longed for, the things that I wanted, the things that I was pursuing, and something had overcame, overcome me had taken over. It was just this deep depression, this deep sense of, of hopelessness, this, this, this discontent with what my life had become. And so I decided to try to kill myself. I locked myself in a bathroom, and I had a bottle of about 30 sleeping pills, prescription sleeping pills, and I took the whole thing and washed it down with Drano. And I passed out. Um, and amazingly, I woke up. I don't know how long, how much longer. I woke up, I had vomited. 
Um, I don't remember vomiting, but I think that's what saved my life. Got everything that was in me out of me. But I woke up on the floor, my sister's bathroom, covered in my own sin, and I was hopeless. And there, there was a sickness with me. There was something wrong with me. There, there is a sickness in the world that affects all of humanity. Every single one of us feel this. Every single one of us experience this to some degree. And it's this discontentment. That's what had led me there. I was not satisfied with my life. And it's this constant low-level just kind of dissatisfaction with the way things are that seems to always creep in no matter what. So from the youngest of us to the oldest of us, all of us experience this. If you haven't, you will. And if you're experiencing it right now, you know how deeply this dissatisfaction affects your mood and your life and everything about you. And this is so clearly seen in the fact that every single one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we are always constantly asking the question, what's next? What's next? What's next for me? What's next for my family? What's next for my children? What's, what's, what's next for me in this world? So today, November 25th, is my daughter Lila. It's her fifth birthday today. She turns five today. Um, pray for her because she is currently, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> In five years, I have kept a human being alive. That is pretty amazing. Um, but pray for her. She is currently throwing up her guts at home right now. She's really sick. And uh, so she, it's not a great birthday for her. You know, tomorrow we're going to get to celebrate, but right now she's sick. Anyway, today is her fifth birthday, right? And I guarantee you, it does not matter how many presents we give her, how many parties we throw her, how many cakes we bake her, no matter what we do for her, her question is always going to be, what's next? What's after this? Is there more? And some of you right now, or probably like, hey man, what are we going to do after this? Are we going to go to K's? Or wait, no, K's is closed on Sundays. We're going to go to Rob's. Are we going to, what, what, what's next? What's after this? You know, we're always asking ourselves, what's next? And listen, it doesn't matter how many successful companies you build and sell. It doesn't matter how many exotic vacations you take. It does not matter how many drugs you take, how much sex you have, or how much fame you achieve. The question that will always haunt you if you, put your, if you are constantly pursuing those things is, what's next? What's next? There is not enough excitement in this world to curb the appetite of the human heart. There never has been. It's been that way from the very beginning. As soon as Satan told Eve, hey, there's something more. There's something more. And Eve had this thought, what's next? What's more for me? There's not enough excitement in the world to curb the appetite of the human heart. And this dissatisfaction with life is everywhere. You don't have to look very far to see it. Um, look at what happened. We have, a, we have a holiday called Black Friday where people trample over other people to get things. That shows you how dissatisfied they are with their current situation, that this is so important to me that I will trample another human being. You don't have to look very far to see this dissatisfaction with life. You may only have to look in the mirror. This, this world is full of, of people like me, like I was 10 years ago in that bathroom. This room is probably full of people right now experiencing that same thing that I experienced long ago. But I found something that completely changed my life. And I want to share it with you. But to do that, we're going to have to look at the ancient wisdom of the Apostle Paul in the book 
of Philippians. So let's look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. All right. Again, page 982 if you're using the Pew Bible. Listen to what he says. Paul says, <coughs> I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. For you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now let me just explain the context just a little bit here so you understand what's going on. Because I read that that's kind of right in the middle of what he's even talking about. Paul is writing this letter to the church at Philippi from jail. Okay, he's imprisoned. And I don't know if you know much about, like, ancient imprisonment, but it's nothing like today, okay? Paul was, was shackled. Um, he was probably beaten every day. He was probably not fed very well. There was no bathroom or anything in his cell. I mean, just horrible living conditions, okay? And the church at Philippi, whenever he began his missionary journey to take the gospel to the ends of the world, they partnered with him. Right? They partnered with him in sending him financial aid or housing him whenever he would come through, feeding him, helping him along his journey. Something happened to where that help got interrupted. More than likely, it was probably because he became imprisoned and they didn't know about it. But then once they found out about it, they sent him some help. And so now Paul is saying, look, I'm rejoiced that now your concern has been revived for me. Because, and I believe that even before, whenever I wasn't receiving help, that you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity probably because you didn't even know where I was. Right? So Paul is thanking the Philippians for helping him along his, his missionary journey, even while he's in prison. And so keep reading. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. Now think about that for a second. Paul is saying, I'm not in need of anything. I'm in prison. I'm shackled to iron bars here. No bathroom, no food. But I'm not in need of anything. I don't need anything. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And everybody's favorite verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So you, you see right off the bat that that verse does not mean you can't claim that whenever you're trying to bowl a 300, right? That's not the context of what that's saying, right? When you're, when you're trying to, you know, get your, your max to 250, you can't claim that verse. That's not what he's talking about. Paul has learned a secret to being content no matter what life throws at him, no matter what situation he is in, he knows that he can do all things through Christ who gives him strength. Now, there are a couple things that I want to point out about this, this passage here before we jump into what I believe that secret is, okay? What the, that Paul is speaking of. First, notice that Paul says that we need Christ's strength in order to be content in every situation, whether good or bad. You see the contrast that he makes there? Whether, you know, I've learned how to be brought low, I know how to abound. I've learned the secret of facing plenty when I have enough. And I know, I have, I know how to un, uh, endure when I'm hungry. I know how to endure when I have an abundance. I know how to endure when I'm in need. That I need Christ's strength to endure every single one of these situations, right? Now, we are very quick to quote that last verse whenever we are brought low, whenever we are in hunger, whenever we are in need. We're quick to rely on Jesus' strength for that, and we're quick to claim that, and we're quick to ask God for that and say that this is what we need. God, I'm in need. I'm in hunger. I am, I am facing lack. I need you. But are we 
just as quick to rely upon the strength of Christ whenever things are good, whenever we're facing abundance, whenever we have plenty. I I mean, I know I'm not, but that's the truth. We need strength to endure those moments. We need just as much strength to stay content in the good times as well as the bad because oddly enough, this is just a paradoxical way that the world works, this fallen world that we live in. It seems to be that it's actually the good times that will sap us of our reliance upon Christ faster and more effectively than the bad. And soon we become convinced that the world and not God will satisfy us and we become discontent with God. So when Paul says, I have learned to be content even when I have plenty, what he's saying is, I know how to keep my reliance and my trust and my contentment in God even when I have everything that the world has to offer and not to put my hope in those things. That's what Paul learned, and that's what I need to learn too. I think that's what you need to learn. So second, notice that Paul's contentment is not found within himself, but it comes from outside of himself. He says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, who strengthens me. So anyone who tells you to find an inner strength, right, when you're in the, when you're in the, the pit, hey man, just man up. Hey girl, wash your face. You need to ignore those people. You need to ignore them. Because the stinging truth about the world that we live in is that what makes things so hard to bear at times is not the fault of the world. The fault is with you. There is something about you that is wrong and dissatisfied. There is something about you that is not content with the way that things are. There's something about you that needs to change. You're the problem. It's not something within yourself that you need to pull up. It's something outside of yourself that you need to pull in. Louis C.K. was a comedian. Um, But at least on one occasion, he said something quite profound that I believe perfectly describes the the situation that we find ourselves in. He says so, so succinctly and so clearly, everything is amazing and nobody is happy. I mean, isn't that the truth? Don't you find that to be the case? Look around you. Look at the world that we live in. Everything is amazing. People are amazing. I have the sum total of human knowledge in my pocket. I can access it anytime. Right? We get to gather in a heated building when it's negative 50 outside. And we get to sing praises to God using beautiful, beautiful instruments. <laughs> Great musicians. We get to hear the word preached. Everything is amazing. But nobody is happy. The problem is not in the things themselves that fail to satisfy you. Everything is amazing. When you truly contemplate life, creation, technology, love, family, reality, whatever, when you think hard about the world, you'll see that everything is truly wonderful. But then it leaves you to wonder, why am I not happy? It's because the fault lies within us. There's something about our hearts, our minds, our desires that leaves us constantly discontent. And it's why we need a strength that's not our own if we're going to be able to fight against the paralyzing and overwhelming feeling of dissatisfaction and find true contentment in this life. Which leads me to my third and final point before we jump in. And I know some of you are like, God, he's still on his introduction? Good grief. Here's the third thing, and then we'll, and then we'll look. 
if our ability to enjoy life and be content is threatened in the good times as well as the bad, and if our ability to be content comes from a strength that is not our own, then the fruit of contentment that we are searching for is profoundly a theological one. And what I mean by that is that our ability to be content is directly derived from our understanding of God. You see, what led Paul to say what he said in Philippians 4, that he could be content in any situation, there are some strong, deep, theological underpinnings underlying that. There is some knowledge about God and who He is, this strength that exists outside of Himself that informs what Paul has to say, right? And so what we need to be content is not a checklist of things to do. It's not more, you know, stuff, right? It's truth about God that we need to grasp, It's truth about who he is and what he has promised that we need to claim hold of, that we need to truly believe, and that will make everything content for us. And and luckily for us, Paul has recorded these truths for us in this letter because he didn't just write Philippians 4, 10 through 13 out of nowhere. This is a a conclusion that he's come to after writing the first three chapters. So what we're about to do is take a quick tour through the landscape of Paul's letter to the Philippians to try to understand exactly what it is about God that Paul knew, what the secret was that allowed him to be content in any situation. The first truth that we find is in chapter 1. So turn there, just a couple pages over. Look over at chapter 1. Now, what had happened to me in that bathroom, was that I had lost all hope that things were ever going to change. I didn't know what I was going to eat. I didn't know where I was going to sleep or if I was going to sleep. I had no job. I had no band. And I had what I thought was no future. And my fear was that I would be a failure, that I wouldn't amount to anything. And the best outcome that I thought for my life was just to end it all in that bathroom. That was the the best thing that I could think of that could have happened to me in that moment. But what I needed to know then, and what, what we need to know, what we need to grasp if we're going to endure this and be content with what we have, is that our outcome, our end, is totally secure. This is something that Paul knew was a certainty. Look at verse 6 in chapter 1. Paul says, I am sure of this. I am certain of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He will. In other words, if you are in Christ, God has started something good in you that he is not going to just give up on. He's not going to leave you hanging. He's not going to forget about you. And when Jesus Christ returns, which is not too long from now, all of the work, all of the striving, all of the toil and the pain, it will be done. It will be complete. There will be rest. And listen, this is not your own doing. It is his work that he began in you that he will bring to completion. It's this security that we feel knowing I'm going to be taken care of. One way or another, I know that things are going to work out for me, for my good, and for His glory. That starts us down the path of contentment. It's knowing that our future is not in our own hands, but it's in the hands of God. And we cannot derail His plans for our life. If we give ourselves to Him, if we receive this, 
then he will receive us and he will keep us. So therefore, if we are brought low, we can be content knowing that the secure future that God has planned for us includes no pain. And if we are abounding, then we can be content knowing that God will protect our hearts from being led astray by the riches of this world because what he has waiting for us is something so much more valuable and so much more rich than anything this world can offer us. It reminds me of an illustration that I heard by Ray Ortland of a, of a man, a homeless man. Um, he, he finds a refrigerator box and he makes a home out of it. Um, he's down on his luck, right? He's been brought low, as Paul would say. Um, and, and day after day, through the rain, through the snow, um, he lives, he's made his home in this refrigerator box. And he has no hope of ever getting out. He doesn't have an address to put on a job application so he can't get a job, right? Everybody looks at him as, as, as a failure, so nobody wants to give him a chance. And he is quickly losing all hope. He sees this box as the confines of his life that he cannot get out of. But then one day, he receives a letter. How a homeless man receives a letter, I don't know. Somebody tracked him down. A bounty hunter found him, gave him a letter. And in this letter was contained information that said, listen, you've got a long-lost uncle that you didn't know about, multimillionaire. He's died, and you're his next of kin, and you're going to inherit everything. And it'll take two weeks to process all the paperwork, but after that is all done, then you will receive your inheritance. Now that night, as that man sleeps in that box, the walls of that box don't seem so hopeless anymore. He can endure just a little bit longer. He knows what's coming. Yeah, it's still hard in that two weeks. Nothing has actually changed, but he knows that everything will change. And that makes all the difference. That's the situation that we have found ourselves in. That no matter what situation you're in right now, no matter how confined you feel, change is coming. Freedom is coming. And because of that, you can be content with where you are. The certainty of our outcome is where we begin to find contentment. So now another fear that I had um, that just compounded my disappointment with life was that the work that I needed to do to change my circumstances was going to be too hard and, and just not worth it. I mean, I had hit rock bottom, and the things that I needed to do to change my life around were just way too much. I would have to give up way too much. I would have to sacrifice too many things that meant so much to me, and I just did not want to do the work. It would be too painful. I would have to leave behind the things that I was addicted to, that I loved, that I craved. I would have to leave behind my dreams and my aspirations and, and pursue things that I didn't want to. It was just going to be too painful. Obedience in that moment was going to be hard. And perhaps you feel the same way. Perhaps you've been there. You found yourself in a situation that, that you think, you know what, I know what I need to do. I read the, the Bible and I know the obedience that I need, to, the steps that I need to take. But man, it's going to be hard and I just, I just don't know if it's worth it. But I want you to know that every single thing that you give up for the sake of contentment in Christ will be rewarded and it will be worth it. This is what Paul teaches us in Philippians chapter 2. Just turn one page over or look over whatever you need to do, look at chapter 2. Paul teaches us this by giving us Christ as an example, right, for the, for the type of obedience that we need to live. At the beginning in, in, in verse 3, Paul tells the church of Philippi, he says, look, so do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. And then he explains why they should do so. 
He says, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant <coughs> excuse me, and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. He became obedient to the point of death even the death on a cross. Paul says, give up your selfish ambitions. Put it all aside. Live for something greater than yourself. And you should do so because look at what Jesus did. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. His obedience was painful. His obedience was hard His obedience was something that was impossible for us to do. The scripture says that he resisted sin to the point of shedding his blood. So heavy was the weight of obedience upon Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is very God of very God, that the night before the cross, he's in the garden, and the Son of God, who is in complete unity and conformity with the Father, looks at him and he says, God, my will is different. I don't want this to happen. If it, God, if you can, take this away from me. I don't want this cup to pass upon me. Now, how hard, how heavy, how weighty does something have to be to cause the Son of God, His will, to conflict with God the Father? But what is Jesus' response? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. God, I will follow, I will walk this path of sorrow. I will walk this path of hardship because I know that it's good. The Bible also says that it was for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. There was something that he was looking to. There was something he had his eye on that caused all of the pain that he was about to walk through, the pain of the obedience that he suffered, to be worth it, to be worth it. And he gave everything to pursue it. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and has given him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, his obedience was rewarded. God didn't just say, thank you, Jesus, for saving mankind and now go do what you want to do. He rewarded him for it. And Paul gives the example of Jesus Christ to the church at Philippi as a reason why they should deny themselves and live for something greater, that they should pursue obedience because we too will be rewarded for our obedience. Now, as we learned in our previous series on how not to ruin your life if you were here for that, um, there are typically two paths that we can be on. We can either be on the path of wisdom or the path of foolishness, right? I constantly contrasted those two. Now, if we refuse to obey God and his commandments, then we are marching headlong in the path of foolishness that will never lead us to contentment. But if we are obedient to Jesus, then we are promised a reward. Now, listen to me. It is through obedience to God that he is able to prove himself faithful to you. It is through obedience to him that he is able to prove himself faithful to satisfy you. A lot of times we play this silly, silly game with God where we come into these spaces like this and we come and we sing our songs and we try and act as spiritual as we can, but we leave this place 
After hearing the word of God, after hearing a message like this, singing praises to God with no desire and no intention to understand what we need to do to be obedient and to actually walk in that. And what we do is we go out, we, we leave here, and we pursue the things of the world. But listen, the things of the world, they'll satisfy you every single time. They deliver on their promise every single time. You can go out and you can buy something that will deliver. You can go out and you can drink something that will deliver every single time. You have a faith. We have a faith in those things because they are faithful to do what we know and what they promise they will do. So why do we not believe the same thing about God? You see how this plays into Paul's secret of contentment? Yes, following Christ is hard, and it will lead you through both highs and lows. But the journey that we're on is not only going to be one that we will be victorious in, as we learned, he will bring it to completion, but we will be rewarded for. If obedience for you means that you have to walk a path of hardship, then you know that God does not overlook that. He does not forget about you. You can confidently choose obedience to God no matter what situation you're in, no matter how painful it's going to be. You will not be overlooked. You will not be forgotten. You will be rewarded. And you can be content with your lot in life if you know that, the res- that it is the result of your obedience to God. Because his only desire for you is to lead you into pleasures forevermore. That's what he promises. He will reward you in due time. So that's the second thing. The first thing, our outcome is secure. The second thing, the pain of our obedience will be rewarded. So we can be content in following Jesus. But is all that really enough, though? I mean... Yeah, I get it. My eternal future is secure. And I've got some inheritance waiting for me on the other side of glory, death, whatever. All of that is then, but life is hard now. Life is painful right now. How about now? One of the strongest discouragements that I felt that led me to that bathroom floor was the idea that all of my pain and all of my sorrow and all of my suffering was meaningless. My worldview at the time did not have any answers for why I was hurting the way that I was. I thought that it was all so just unfair and purposeless and meaningless. This led me to be discontent with my life and wanting to end it. And if there was no purpose for all of the hurt and all of the pain that I was experiencing, then why even experience it? Why not just end it? Several people have succumbed to that line of reasoning. And I have to admit, without God, without knowing that I have an eternal purpose, that kind of thinking is attractive. It was attractive to me then. It's attractive to people now. But that is not at all what the Bible teaches in regards to our pain and our suffering. In fact, the Bible brings so much meaning and purpose to our pain and our suffering as to almost seem to give it some kind of dignity like it's something to be rejoiced in, like it's something to honor, like it's something to be thankful for. In fact, Paul even says it has been granted to you. It's a gift from God that you should not only believe in him, but you should suffer for him as well. The Bible's understanding of our pain and suffering is that it is a good thing. Now let me show you. Look back in chapter 1. 
Look back in chapter 1 and look at verse 12. And remember, Paul is writing from prison, okay? And look at what he says. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, this imprisonment, this beating, this, this setback, this suffering, this pain, that what has happened to me has really served to actually advance the gospel so that it has become known through the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now, Paul's goal was to fulfill the Great Commission, to go to all the nations, forsake everything that he had, and to make disciples, to tell the world the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, you would think that being locked up in a jail cell would be some kind of hindrance to that, would it not? But no. What happened to Paul actually served to advance the gospel. Now, what more dignifying position could Paul be in in that moment? Yes, this is the hardest thing that I've ever had to go through. This is immeasurable pain. The battle that I have fought for Jesus to land here in a jail cell. But I have no need. I'm content. This has actually served to advance the gospel. How much meaning and purpose was Paul filled with in that moment? How much meaning and purpose do you have that God can take your pain, your suffering, your setbacks, and he can turn them into means by which the gospel can be furthered? Do you trust this? Like, do you have enough faith to believe that? Because I have to admit, it, it's, it's these times in my life when I'm faced with these kinds of situations that I cry out, I know what the Bible says. I, I know that these things are true, but I still find myself crying out to God, I, I believe, help my unbelief. Because there's a part of me that, that, that believes this, but there's a part of me that doesn't believe it either, that God can do it. And listen, that is an okay prayer to pray, right? The man, the centurion that prayed that prayer, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, he was commended for that prayer. That's a prayer that you can pray. It's a prayer that you can latch on to. You're not meant to know it all. You're not meant to understand it all. God doesn't give us every single one of the answers as to why we go through the things that we go through. But he promises that he will use them. And when you're confused and when you're in doubt, it's okay. You can pray to him, Lord, I believe, I trust. Help my unbelief. Help me. And he will enlighten you. Now this is hard to understand, but it is such a prominent teaching in the New Testament. I mean, it is everywhere. Paul speaks of this exact same thing happening in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You don't have to turn there, but just listen to what Paul says. He says, we, talking about the apostles and those who are on the missionary journey, he says, we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. We are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal bodies. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Do you see that gospel connection there? Death is at work in us. That's resulting in life in you. God is taking their pain, their perplexity, their affliction, and he's using it to work life in those who do not believe. How dignifying is this? 
our suffering is immediately connected to the salvation of others. You want meaning for your pain? You want purpose for your suffering? Here it is. But notice that it's not just any kind of suffering that Paul is talking about. Paul isn't saying that if we just endure pain just willy-nilly and sit idly by as we wait for it to end, that we'll just somehow contribute to the gospel. No, it is, it is how we endure the pain that serves to advance the gospel. We endure this pain with a certain kind of contentment because we are fueled by the promise that none of these things have the final say. None of the things that we experience have the ultimate authority in our lives. None of them do. And we can be content with that. Paul was certainly content. Because listen again to what he says. We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are afflicted, but we are not crushed. Our sickness does not have the final word. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. Our doubts do not have the final word. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. Our loneliness does not have the final word. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Our suffering does not have the final word. Listen, we are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Our Savior, Jesus, has the final word, and His word is life. There's nothing that can overcome you. And that's what you get to contribute to if you endure with contentment. If you know that God has you, then your pain, your suffering, the pain of obedience, the, con- the confines that you find yourself in now, the trappings of your life that you feel so wrapped up in, God can take that and he will use it and turn it into something glorious that you will look back on and you will say, praise God. So Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He knows the secret he says. And we've learned at least some of the things that Paul has learned to help him be content. And and I believe that's what we need to hear right now. We are about to head into a season, the Christmas season, the holiday season, where you will be tempted with discontent about so many ridiculous, silly, temporary things. You'll be tempted to be discontent with your possessions things that you have and you'll want more you'll be tempted with that you'll be tempted to be discontent with the things that you get I didn't want that gift and you'll want something else what's next you'll be tempted to be discontent with the loneliness that comes with the holidays the hard the hard times that come or you may be tempted to be discontent with actually having to be with your family on the holidays We're entering into a perfect season where we need to hear this. Listen, if you are in Christ, then you know that your eternal inheritance is secure. It's being kept waiting for you, and it's only a short moment until you attain it. In the meantime, you strive to be faithful and obedient to Jesus, following his example of humble obedience, knowing that the pain of that obedience will be rewarded. And not only will that pain be rewarded, 
but it will be injected with purpose and meaning by God, being used to further the gospel for the glory of God and the name of Jesus Christ. When your future is secure, when your obedience is rewarded, and when even your pain is useful to God's plans for the redemption of the world, then you know what that makes you? Content. Satisfied. Fulfilled. You're content with whatever life throws at you. So are you brought low? Like Paul said, God will raise you up on the last day. Be content. Are you abounding right now? Is this a season of abundance in your life? You Don't be deceived. You still need the strength of Christ to endure this moment. You will so quickly become discontent with God and satisfied with the things of the world that you won't even notice it. But God will keep your heart from drifting away by showing you how much more valuable he is. You can be content. Are you facing hunger and need? God is using these things for the furtherance of the gospel and the expansion of his kingdom of which we will sing about in heaven for eternity. So be content. You can do all of these things through Christ who gives you strength. Now, everything that I've talked about is true only for those who have repented of their sin and placed their faith in Jesus Christ. If you have not done that, if you are still Lord of your life, then it is up to you to determine your outcome. It is up to you to ensure your inheritance. It is up to you to provide meaning to your pain into your suffering. None of this will be true for you if you do not surrender to Christ. These are promises and blessings reserved only for the children of God. Only. And I say that to you because I love you. And because I want you to know that the contentment that I found <laughs> is so much greater than anything that I had before. What the world had to offer me led me to a bathroom floor covered in my own vomit. But what Christ offers me now has led me here in Ohio <laughs> in a church Amen. standing here trying to share with you the greatest message that I know the greatest treasure that I have Jesus Christ and I want you to have that I don't want you to walk out of here hoping that you'll find satisfaction out there because you won't I know you won't but if you give yourself to this then no matter what comes your way, you can be content. God will do that for you. He promises so. Would you pray with me?